Hi, it's Katrina Hibbert, Frog, head coach of the Flames. Make sure you tune in on Shooting the Breeze, Fridays, 4pm. Welcome to the latest episode of Shooting the Breeze. This week, we're going to have a look back at some of our earlier podcasts while we prepare a few special surprises for you in the upcoming weeks. We're starting off by going back to our first two episodes featuring Coach Katrina Hibbert. At first, we get to listen to Frog talking about the drop in sports participation for girls, the Her Sport Her Way program, how the Flames can assist in keeping girls in sport, and the inspiration players can provide. Is there any like research that, that looks at what are the drivers of, of that drop in, in participation? I think there's several. I think for girls, it's about self-esteem. Also, you know, is it a safe space? You know, does everything have to be competitive? Sort of things around that, like, you know, socially, what sort of education sort of becomes important as well. But how do we keep that balance and engagement for those girls to see the benefits of staying physically active, you know, whether it's around teamwork, social groups. So not always necessarily, you know, not every not every girl wants to play for Australia. So how do we keep them engaged in just the participation and being connected with community and other girls, I think is really important. So, yeah, there, I mean, there is research into it and, and 14 has been the age where they've seen, they've, they have seen a considerable amount of dropout for girls. I think that's going to be a bit of a challenge, but it looks like this program is really starting to, to point towards addressing that. Is there any plans to try and utilise the Flames to try and help this program along the way? Oh, most definitely. You know, who better to help drive it than use the role models of the athletes that we do have and that have, have made their own way through um, basketball? So, yeah, so most definitely I think, you know, once we're out of COVID-19, you know, hopefully there are ways and we're already starting to use some of the girls with, with the messages and stories that they can tell and and. You know, I think when you use girls that have been through this with their own stories, they become relatable. And the more relatable and the more, I guess, familiar you become with these athletes, become connected. And so through connection, I think, builds confidence and builds, you know, self-esteem and all those things. And you see somebody who's done it and you think, well, if she's done it, I actually can see that I can do it as well. So I think there's a, a great opportunity to continue to build the profile um, of these girls within the community, but it's also great you know, at whatever level that these girls can see somebody who they can relate to because, you know, we're more connected when we feel relatable to something. And I think with female role models, that's where you start. For sure. It's really important. And I know with two daughters, it's really important for them to have great role models. And I've seen it in how they react to to seeing role models like you know, Snelly, Asia Taylor, and some of the other players that they've met at the Flames. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, the beauty of women's sport is – Female athletes are still very accessible and very open and wanting to connect with their fan base, you know, with these young girls. You know, after a game, when you go to a Flames game and you see, you know, the girls sit down and sign autographs and you can just see, you know, the joy. I, rem- I remember when I met Michelle Timms when I was a kid and, you know, that was, you know, who I looked up to and aspired to be. And so, you know, you find inspiration by being able to be connected and feel like, you know, you're almost like a friend that you've been seeing and um, I think that's really important and I think that's what we do well in the WNBL and, and also in, in women's sport is that ability to be connected to the community and, and sort of there's not, you know, a, a standoffish space between us and community. Coach Frog's given us a lot of interesting insights across our series and be sure to tune in once we finish announcing our season 2020-21 lineup. 
we're going to get an update from her on team preparations for the upcoming season. Now let's have a listen to Lauren Scherf from Episode 3, talking about how she got into basketball, playing at Dandenong, learning from players like Penny Taylor, and, importantly, the mental side of basketball. I, you know, grew up in a, like, in a town just on the outskirts of Melbourne. Didn't start playing basketball till I was maybe 10. You know, I just kind of grew and fell in love with basketball um, at a young age and, you know, just had a really fun time playing it and didn't realise where I could go with it. Obviously, you know, I was just training and trying to get better and it led me to be able to play for my state and then my country and then also play professionally. You know, I've been able to play with a lot of great players. Like Penny Taylor is somebody that I really admire and I was able to play with her at Dainong, um, playing with the likes of her and being able to see what she's been able to accomplish in her life and seeing what you know, she did on and off the court, the leadership and the way she, you know, presented herself, you know, really look up to her and think that, you know, she's the epitome of basketball for Australian women. Yeah, I, I remember watching Penny play and she was a really tough competitor. Mm. Um, did you find that watching the way she attacked the game, did you learn things from that approach that Penny took? Yeah, I mean, I was able to witness, you know, not just in the games, but also at the training and like her smarts and the way she goes about the game and just like the different kind of aspects that way to tweaking, you know, things on defense, things on offense and just like really like inspired me that it's not all, well, when I was at that age, like I think I was 17 or 18 at the time. And being able to watch her and the way she thinks about the game, that's not only just about, you know, your basketball skills. It's also about the mental side of things. And, you know, I think that's what made her such a great and talented player. Did you find that that was an aspect of your game that you really learnt more about by that sort of exposure, the mental aspect to the game? Yeah, I know you can always be talented and you can have that skill, but you also have to have that the dedication, the hard working and like the mental side of it. I think that's what, you know, really takes your game to another level. You know, you hear about Kobe speaking about it, you know, and how he went about the game and it wasn't all just about the, you know, getting up at 5am in the morning to go work out. It was also about that mental side of things and, you know, I think that's, where the game might be headed as well. That's an interesting uh, interesting point of view. Obviously, that sort of mental toughness would be helping you in, in the situation that we currently find ourselves where we're locked away, not able to do a lot. You know, it's, it's tough on people, and I'm guessing it would be hard on athletes who are used to being out there and doing stuff every day. Yeah, I mean, I was very used to, you know, having my day set out for me, having my routine, you know, going... And training, going to see coaches who work out with them, going to wait. I was very on a routine basis. And then obviously when all this happened, it kind of went out the window. But I think that being able to take this time to really find ways of how to go about things like in a different aspect and then really like tuning in to trying to be positive about the situation and that, you know, this is not hopefully not going to go on forever. But um being able to engage in the mental health things that will really, you know, really help. We're looking forward to seeing Lauren get back to the action. And with some of the announcements that have been made since we recorded that podcast, 
we're thinking Lauren's going to have an exciting season with an amazing team lineup. From our fourth episode, we heard from Flames captain Sharpshoot and Sarah Graham. Now based in Canberra at the AIS, we get a chance to talk to her about the challenges of starting her coaching journey and having to deal with the challenges of lockdown while starting a new job. And while you were here in Sydney, you started making a transition across to coaching as well? Yeah, that was probably never... As a player, when I was about five, six years ago, when I was um, probably a bit more serious than I have been lately, uh, it was never something I wanted to do. I wasn't one of those players who wanted to naturally transition in case I was... Sorry, in fact, I was really not opposed to it, just really didn't want to do it. Like I had other interests outside of basketball that you know I was doing at uni and, and whatever else. But yeah, I guess since the move back to Sydney four years ago, I sort of, you know, Karen Dalton wrote me in to coach at Hornsby, uh, one of the associations, and really lucky to have gotten involved with them and the kids and the families that are there because that was a really special four years again of probably – I guess sparked that fire for coaching or, or one of the big things that did. I'd always done a little bit on the side of playing, um, whether it was at schools or individuals and all that. But yeah, Hornsby was probably the start of that and where I sort of did grow that passion, I guess, of coaching teams and, and young players wanting to develop their game. But yeah, no, I was really thankful to get involved with that club and um, really happy that I got that four years there. And you, you also did a lot of coaching with wheelchair basketball. Uh, yeah, that was, I think that was after we, just after we won the championship back in 2017, I sort of just had that, I think that was just right place at the right time sort of thing. Um, but yeah, coaching at N-Swiss uh, as the head coach of their wheelchair basketball program. Uh, at the time, honestly, I had no idea about wheelchair basketball, um, but that just kept, kept getting said that that didn't matter. It's just basketball. Um um, the more I more I coached and the more I worked there, the more I realised that was not true. But yeah, again, that was really I think I was there for maybe two and a half years. Uh, learnt so much away from the court in terms of I guess the business side of it, admin, welfare of your players, all that sort of stuff that you hear about that you don't really I guess as a player you have no idea about it really, um, and as a coach, just coaching a whatever team, you, you really don't have to deal with it. There's other people that do that. So thankful for that. Like that was probably a big thing, I guess, and probably the next step in me retiring. I was sort of doing that and trying to play at the same time, and it really wasn't working. As much as I loved both both sides of that, probably made this decision now a little bit easier. But yeah, really fortunate to get in, involved with the wheelchair basketball and that was Lee Gooding who gave me that opportunity first up and and from there really lucky to get involved in the national program with the women and the juniors and got to get over to some overseas tournament yeah look I I do miss that stuff now I love what I do now but I do miss those little coaching gigs that that I was doing while I was playing that's for sure bringing that on to to what you're doing now you've down at the AIS do you see that as kind of like an interesting opportunity to grow your coaching skills and and maybe look at other opportunities in the future or yeah to be honest I haven't really looked too far beyond this I think this is obviously trying to navigate that and and granted it's only been three weeks of of the job or three or bit three and a bit and then obviously COVID swung into action but yeah I haven't 
I think this this is probably right where I need to be right now, and I'm quite happy to this. Like I'm already learnt so much on the floor, off the floor. You know, getting to work with the country's next best young kids is every day is pretty amazing. And there's, I guess, that for me, there's no days to slack off, and it's it's exciting. I don't think there's been any. There's obviously frustrating parts of, of certain aspects, as you'd expect in any any job, but every day is, is something new even though you're sort of doing the same stuff every day definitely gets you out of bed in the morning no matter what time it is and I'm looking forward to getting back there because it is like I said it's just I'm where I'm at right now I'm just a sponge and there's no part of it I don't like which is very refreshing but um and weird I think you know it doesn't feel like you're working we can't wait to catch up with Sarah in the future to see how her coaching journey develops Finally, we get to recap with Jeff Tripp, who constantly brings us amazing photos week in and week out from the games, how he approaches game day, as well as giving us a view into one part of the behind-the-scenes world of the Brydon's Lawyers Sydney Uni Flames. What does a typical day at a home game look like for you? How do you get ready? How do you approach the game? What sort of things are you thinking about when you're getting ready to shoot? Yeah, game day. Game day is actually my favourite day. I really, I love game day. I look forward to it probably as much as the athletes and the coaches. But besides making sure my camera batteries are charged, I actually plan my day with the fans of the Flames in mind first. That might sound quite silly, uh, but we live in a digital age of consumption of content being I want it now, not later. Uh, And I guess as those seasons have progressed and in my numerous coffee conversations with Dalton, Karen Dalton, uh, we agreed that we would work towards putting up 20 to 30 of the best shots after each game to the Flames Facebook page. We thought it was really important that we needed to make sure content was up um, on the same day. So that's pretty much where I where I start. If the, if the game's at 5pm, uh, I want to make sure I've got the best shots from the game to be up on the, the Flames Facebook page no later than two hours after the game. From there, it's pretty much just a process of working backwards. I uh, have to factor in travel time, editing the images, making sure I've got time to eat, uh, what time will I arrive at the stadium, and the most important part is making sure that I allocate enough time to uh, catch up with all, all my fellow friends like yourself, Paul, yeah. and um, have a quick chat before the game because I think that's really important. We, uh, there is a big family on and off the court, and a lot of us uh, contribute to, uh, to the Flames program. I need to take a few test shots. You'd actually be surprised... Um, the amount of times you go into the stadium and there's new globes that have blown and um, how much that actually impacts your camera settings. Oh, absolutely. And also the, the colour of the uniform that the girls play in. I mean, all of the colours look amazing, but from my perspective, I prefer a lighter coloured uniform because I think it shows up better uh, in the imagery. Uh, in terms of my gear, I try and make sure that's ready a day before and that has sort of come from being burnt in the past where uh, I've turned up to to a shoot, whether it being for basketball or for one of my clients and I've forgotten to charge one of the batteries or I've left my camera uh, back at my desk and there's even one time uh, where I had one of my close mates over who was coming to the WNBL game. We were driving to the stadium and I had a mini, mini panic attack because I'm not, not, I don't normally have someone with me, so I threw my routine out. And we were halfway through to the stadium, and I remember that I left all my camera gear at home. So we had to turn around, go back, get it, and then get back to the stadium. So that threw my routine out. That's only ever happened once, so hopefully it won't happen again. It was interesting you mentioned about the lighter-coloured uniforms. How did you think 
the uniforms for Indigenous Round looked on the girls when they played this season. The, uh, the they were, ones. Uh, Paul, they were my favourite. Uh, they looked amazing. I think that uh, uh, just that rich gold colour uh, was just beautiful. It, it looked really good and it shone up well in the photos. It, I don't know, it just made it easier for the camera to focus on as well. It, it just looked fantastic. I mean, the blue looks great as well, and so does the white. But I don't know for some reason the the gold uniform looked fantastic, especially when we're um, making sure that the crowd in the background is not so lit. And even when you're at the Kudos Bank Arena, when they don't have the lights on around the arena on just the actual court, the gold really stands out. I love it. I'm not sure if you've noticed that the players really love sharing and sharing your images on social, and also liking them. And they're obviously really appreciative of what, what you do. I'm, I'm guessing that you've developed friendships with some of the players in particular and also like there's a trust and mutual respect that, that you guys develop with each other? Yeah, Paul, that's a, that's a, a really good question. I would say, yes, there, there definitely is. There's definitely a mutual respect and that's been built over time. Just quickly to share with you, in any one game, and it sort of does depend on, you know, I won't go too much into the season where we didn't have a great season, but in those years where, where every game was really competitive and we were uh, doing quite well, the number of photos that I can take in a game can be anywhere from fifteen to 1,500 to 3,000 plus. From there, I try to select... 10 to 15% of those are shots being worthy of being put up on social media. Uh, but then I do a further cull uh, where I apply my own filter of would I be happy if that shot was of me and that had been shared up on socials? Uh, let, let me explain that a little in a, in a deeper detail. Yeah, that um, I, I learned this from covering uh, the Opals journey at the FIBA World Championships in 2010 in the Czech Republic. And one of the things I started to, to listen to when I was talking to the to the girls was so much not about photography. It was about the brand of the Opals and how much that meant to the athletes when they got to um, represent Australia. And I started to listen and process. And, and one felt very fortunate that I was able to be at the event. I got the accreditation. I was there day one ready to shoot the Opals. And I went, I need to respect the brand. I need to respect the brand of the team and also need to respect the brand of the athlete. And from there, from there, what I've done is I don't share images where the facial expressions of the athletes is not great um, or their playing uniform may be lodged where the athlete really doesn't want it to be lodged. Um, yeah, you just got to be mindful of how that person who is in the shop would feel viewing the image. Thanks for joining us this week on this recap of some of our earlier episodes. Over the next few weeks, we'll have some awesome guests joining us on the show, not just players, but also sponsors and some very special guests. Don't forget to tune in to Shooting the Breeze every Friday at 4pm. Subscribe on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts and iHeartRadio.